you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 6. Joshua chapter 6. We'll be beginning there in just a moment. Joshua chapter 6. Again, it's good to see everyone out uh, in, uh, as we worship God, as we study His Word. Um, it's just, as always, a pleasure to be with like-minded people, people who believe in the one and only God who created us, gave us life, and gave and promises eternal life for those who are uh, a part of His kingdom. And so, it's just good to be with you all, uh, and I hope that you know, as we've gone throughout the service thus far and as we've been able to sing these songs, uh, Glenn led such a good prayer. Uh, I hope that you've been encouraged already thus far. And I hope that as we study God's word tonight, I'm hoping that you will be encouraged by this as well. As we look um, at another lesson, um, kind of going through that narrative, we're just kind of picking every now, uh, every now and then a few stories out of um, that series. But we last looked at, in Joshua, the story of Rahab, the harlot, the Gentile, and how she was, to a degree, grafted into God's kingdom, Israel. Um, and, you know, we looked at her faith. I kind of want to take tonight to look at just another story of faith. Uh, two points this evening, and that is going to be what faith looks like and what faith does not look like. And I think you see uh, that beautifully, at least to the degree of what faith looks like, with the people of Israel in the story of uh, marching around Jericho. It is uh, an interesting story. You, you have uh, instructions given by God that maybe don't make that much sense from a worldly standpoint, and yet there's victory. Uh, this is one of those stories that we hear from a very young age, one of the stories that we can probably tell pretty well from a very young age. Um, and for good reason, as I already said, because there's, there's a few things in here that are pretty uh, interesting to say the least. But especially as you look at faith um, and what faith is supposed to look like. Over in Hebrews chapter 11, very quickly, if you want to put a bookmark in Joshua chapter 6, Hebrews chapter 11, as it talks about all of these faithful examples that we are to look to, um, that, that all of God's uh, people are to look to and kind of find encouragement, motivation from these people. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 30, it says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. And we already read verse 31 a, few, uh, a couple weeks ago as we looked at Rahab. And so, um, you know, as he goes through all of these examples saying, By faith, uh, what, it, what it's supposed to tell us is, at the very least, a faith that we want to emulate. A faith that we want to show as closely as possible in our own lives. Uh, and so let's just look at this example in Joshua chapter 6 uh, and just see how faithful they were and, and, and everything that they did with regard to their obedience to God. Um, I said chapter 6, but really what I want to do is start in chapter 5 because this is um, while they're in the land of of. Canaan while they're in the promised land and they're about to take the land and, and begin their conquest on it. Uh, you see a very interesting story before you get to chapter 6 in Jericho, that first uh, city that's taken and destroyed. In chapter 5, Israel does something very peculiar. 
And what you find is all throughout this story is Israel does something very peculiar. But in chapter 5, beginning in verse 2, it says that the people were alerted. The kings particularly were alerted. But in verse 2, at that, at that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make for yourself flint knives and circumcise again the sons of Israel the second time. So Joshua made himself flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gibeath Har, Har, Haraloth. This is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came out of Egypt who were males, all the men of war died in the wilderness along the way after they came out of Egypt. For all the people who came out were circumcised, but all the people who were born in the wilderness along the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the sons of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, that is, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished. Because they did not listen to the voice of the Lord, to whom the Lord had sworn that he would not let them see the land which the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. Their children, whom he raised up in their place, Joshua, circumcised. For they were uncircumcised because they had not circumcised them along the way. Now when they had finished circumcising all the nation, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach from, of Egypt from you, so the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. And it's called that because what it means is rolling, a, a rolling away. And so um, the reason I wanted to read through that is just because they were circumcised. They were really making themselves vulnerable in enemy territory. And just in that alone, I think that displays a great deal of faith especially for these men that were going to fight these battles while uh, knowing that they are soon to take up the sword against their enemy, while they know that they are soon uh, to run up in, in, uh, in opposition to God's enemies, well, to their enemies, they, they maim themselves to a degree. Now, again, I just think that that's faith in and of itself, that when God told them to do so, they did it. And it doesn't seem like there was, any, um, there was any issues as they went through this. Not only that, but in verse 10, uh, it says, While the sons of Israel encamped at Gilgal, they observed the Passover on the evening of the 14th day of the month on the desert plains of Jericho. And so even here, you see such beautiful faithfulness. Because, uh, and this is one of the reasons I love Joshua, because I think you find story after story of faithfulness. But, but they seem to be so dedicated to God that even this impending war and even the, the uh, current pain that they are in, in the circumcisions, that does not stop them from worshiping God. That does not stop them from obeying the law that they had been given. And it seems like they're doing, at least so far, they're doing well in remembering the things that the Lord has spoken to them as they would take the land. There are a few times where uh, Moses, especially in Deuteronomy, when, when God kind of talks about that land that they're going to take, he says, well, when you go into that land, make sure you remember to give the first fruits to me. Make sure you don't forget to, to keep my law. And they're doing well so far. And so I just think that that is a, a good example of faith, just, just even before they go into battle. Uh, now, you get to chapter 6, and they are given interesting instruction, as I already said. Beginning in verse 1, it says, Now Jericho was tightly shut because of the sons of Israel. No one went out, and no one came in. The Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and the valiant warriors. You shall march around the city, all, all the men of war circling the city once. You shall do so for six days. This is the battle strategy. Also, seven priests shall carry seven trumpets of rams, horns, before the ark. Then on the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, 
and the priests shall blow the trumpets. It shall be that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall, shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people will go up, every man straight ahead. And then in verses 6 and 7, what you have is Joshua just essentially repeating the commands to the people. Now, once more, this is a very, uh, as you see before you on the screen, very unconventional instruction. And what I mean by that is when, when God gives them these, these commandments to obey, this does not register on, on like a tactician's level when you're thinking about your soldier fighting in a war, fighting in a battle. We are going to march around the city and we are not going to say anything. Until the seventh day, of course, and then they were going to give a, 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 a cry when they were about to take the land, when the walls fell down. But this, this is the beginning of the battle plans. Not that they're uh, just going to outright, you know, take the walls down. Well, that's going to be God. But when you think about how, uh, especially back in that day, I mean, with all of our technology today, it's much easier to uh, destroy even colossal buildings, which... Um, you know, it's amazing to think about in and of itself. But back then, they didn't have that same technology. And so you think about some of these walled cities. They were, for the most part, nigh impossible to break down. And so what you have often is walled cities like Jericho, not defeated in this way, but rather the strategy is to starve the inhabitants, cut off the food supply, cut off the water, water supply, and build ramps. Building ramps um, just implies that obviously that notion of climbing over, not destroying completely. And again, why is that? Because it was much harder to destroy uh, those kind of fortified cities. You can kind of see uh, similar tactics when it comes to um, uh, Jerusalem. Um, there, I was reading a commentary on Hebrews, and uh, he said something interesting that kind of caught my eye. Uh, and as he talked about what this kind of procedure would, how it would take place, how long it would take place, it took an extremely long time. Uh, as he talked about trying to take a, a walled city or fortified cities like this, he says, the entire process took months, if not years. The Babylonian siege on that same Nineveh in 612 BC took three months. The, again, he wasn't talking about Joshua. This is a commentary of Hebrews. So I'm just, this is just an example of how difficult it was. But he says the siege of Jerusalem by the Romans in 70 AD took 18 months, as did the Babylonian siege on that same city in 586 BC because of its unique location. Tyre held out against Babylonian siege for 13 years, but Alexander conquered it after siege of only seven months. And it's funny because he emphasizes the only, only seven months. Yeah, that's still quite a bit of time. In short, it was simply unheard of that a walled city would be taken in seven days and, and, and without using any of the conventional techniques of that time. And, and so, as, uh, as, as he is kind of referring to uh, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 30, he just gives you a, a little synopsis of what it would look like and how hard and difficult it would be. And so you think about being these people who would march around the city and, and just try to put yourself in their shoes. Just think about not speaking at all during this process and realizing that that silence does nothing to weaken the structural, structural integrity of the city that you're trying to take down, that you are going to fight against. The silence, it didn't do anything. 
I mean, it, clearly it was God. Now the silence was a part of the obedience, which we're going to look at in just a moment. But, but can you imagine being one of the soldiers having to do this and thinking, I, I mean, I really don't know what's going on here. <laughs> it, would, it, it would maybe come across our, our minds if we were put in the same uh, position. But even with that, even though this didn't make the most sense in terms of how, how the world deals with their wars, because they don't have God on their side, they did exactly what was instructed of them. In uh, chapter 6 again, beginning in verse 8, it says, And it was so that when Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord went forward and blew the trumpets, and the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them. The armed men went before the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard came, out, came after the ark while they continued to blow the trumpets. But Joshua commanded the people, saying, You shall not shout, nor let your voice be heard, nor let a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I tell you, Shout. Then you shall shout. So he had the ark of the Lord taken around the city, and circling at once, then they came into the camp and spent the night in the camp. Now Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord went to, on continually and blew the trumpets, and the armed men went before them, and the rear guard came after the ark of the Lord while they continued to blow the trumpets. Thus the second day they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. They did so for six days, and we'll pick up in verse 15 in just a moment. But even with that unconventional wisdom given to them, they obey. And again, nowhere in the story does it sound like there is any um, real opposition to this. And I, and I absolutely love that because what you, what you have is a, a complete different approach, a completely, completely different mindset from what you had in Numbers chapter 13 and, and chapter 14. Because there, they were just on the border. They weren't even in the land. Just looking at the border... And they were too afraid to go into it with God on their side. And so obviously that generation was punished. And they had to wander for 40 years until that, until that generation died and this generation arose. You have this generation who in contrast is not just on the border but in hostile territory. And yet they have already done things that have shown their, their, their level of faithfulness. And, and they don't even have really any reluctance as they are... Uh, as they are following these instructions that God has given them. And so again, I would just say, I think this is such a beautiful moment in Israel's history of faithfulness. Uh, especially when you get to the end and you see that story where it looks like, it's not actually that uh, the, the, the tribes on the other side uh, of the Jordan were actually, were actually committing idolatry. They built up an altar as a memorial to say, we are God's people, so don't think otherwise. But the rest of the tribes, they get confused, and they look at that, and they think, uh-oh, they already are committing idolatry. And so they go, they're about to go into battle. And sometimes I think people, uh, you know, look at that and make the case of, you, uh, you know, we need to be careful, and we need to try and think before we just engage in, in reckless, reckless uh, warfare. But at the same time, I, I don't want to miss the, the notion of, look how sincere they are look how zealous they are for god that when they saw even their own countrymen their own brethren look like they were going the wrong way in, into idolatry they immediately acted they they didn't hesitate and even in the story i think you find great wisdom because it's uh, i believe it's uh, Phinehas that that calms everyone down and asks the question you know what's going on here and it turns out everything's good no there's no bloodshed whatsoever um 
And, and so you just see so much faithfulness through, throughout the, the book of Joshua. And one of the main aspects of faithfulness is just very simply obedience. It is obeying God even when maybe the instructions don't make the most sense to us. Uh, and as we'll look at even further, if they, don't make, if they don't make the most sense, what does that mean? We just throw them away? Clearly not. Uh, but rather, we, we respect them and we appreciate them as they have been given to us by God. And so they were very obedient to God's commands. Well, continuing on in verse 15 of Joshua chapter 6. After they had done what God had specified for those six days, on the seventh day, they rose early at the dawning of the day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. Only on that day they marched around the city seven times. At the seventh time, when the priests blew the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city shall be under the ban. It and all that is in it belongs to the Lord. Only Rahab the harlot and all who are with her in the house shall live, because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But as for you, only keep yourselves from the things under the ban, so that you do not covet them and take some of the things under the ban and make the camp of Israel accursed and bring trouble on it. But all the silver and gold and, and articles of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted and priests blew the trumpets. And when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted with a great shout and the wall fell down flat so that the people went up into the city, every man straight ahead, and they took the city. They utterly destroyed everything in the city, both man and woman, young and old, and ox and sheep and donkey with the edge of the sword. Now, I particularly want to, I mean, you have the, the conclusion of, of, of what happens when they do everything God has told them. God, God, gets the, God gives them the victory. He, he attains the victory. He brings the walls down, uh, and, and, and Israel takes the city and destroys it. Now, I want to focus specifically on Joshua's words. Does it sound like Joshua, the leader of Israel at this time, has any doubt whatsoever as he is talking about what they are to do, what they are to take, it's in fact the very opposite. What it sounds like is, in his language, it's, it's, it's essentially, we are, it's already ours. We've already attained it. Even though they don't you know, physically possess it, the way that he speaks indicates we already have it. It's, it's a done deal. Um, and often you see this kind of language used throughout the Bible, uh, of, of promising language, language that is, uh, sure, that is confident, and confident in the sense that God has said that he is going to do something. God has said that he is going to accomplish something. If he said it, good is done. It's the same kind of assurance, uh, assurance and, and confidence that I think Simeon has in Luke chapter 2 when he just merely sees Jesus as an infant, and that's all he needs. He holds him up in his arms and he says, this, this is the consolation of Israel. And again, there, you don't hear any doubt. You don't hear any um, worry that maybe this isn't going to be accomplished. No. Just as an infant child, he said, this is the consolation of Israel. I, I can die in peace now. I can die knowing, uh, I, I can die without uh, waiting for that Messiah to come. And, and, and so that's the kind of confidence that you see time and time again throughout the Bible. Now, you don't always see it in all of God's people, but in this story, 
you see it especially with Joshua, but I would say you even somewhat see it with the people as they obey and as they show this kind of faithfulness uh, uh, throughout. Now, this, as I talk about the faithfulness of Joshua, that does not mean that they were perfect because <laughs> in the very next chapter, what you have is a great sin that, that Achan commits. And that's also a, a story that we know very well. So it's not to say that they were perfect, but even in that story, the congregation of Israel, they act immediately and they do what God has told them to do. Um, and I think that in similar circumstances, uh, all throughout Joshua, when, when we are put in similar circumstances, um, I, I don't know if we act as, as confidently and as urgently as, as, as we should uh, when that is the case. But just very quickly, I want to go over to chapter 14 before we move on. Chapter 14, to look at someone else's words, that reminds me a lot of, of Joshua's. Uh, Joshua chapter 14, beginning in verse 10. Here is the second person who was of that previous generation who was actually inherited, that was actually able to go into the promised land. And, and as you recall, you have Joshua and Caleb. They were the two good spies. They, they were the two spies that gave the good report, rather. And so they're leading this generation into the promised land. And Caleb, he is an old man. And yet he is so ready to fight for Israel's inheritance, for the inheritance that God has promised his people. Listen to his language as he talks about taking uh, this land. In Joshua chapter 14 and verse 10, Caleb speaking says, Behold, the Lord has let me live just as he spoke these 45 years from the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses, when Israel walked in the wilderness. And now behold, I am 85 years old today. I am still as strong today as I was in the day Moses sent me. As my strength was then, so my strength is now. Uh, wow, I don't know why, but that just skipped several pages. That really took away from the moment, didn't it? <laughs> Let me just read that last sentence again. Dry fingers. Joshua 14, verse 11 again. He says, I am still as strong today as I was in the day of Moses sent me. As my strength was then, so my strength is now for war and for going out and coming in. Now then, give me this hill country about which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day that Anakim were here, uh, were there with great fortified cities. Perhaps the Lord will be with me and I will drive them out as the Lord has spoken. Joshua blesses him and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. Now, uh, I wanted to look at this just because here, here's the other spy that brought the good report with the same level of zealousness. He wasn't going to falter then. He's not going to falter now. And it's because he trusts in the word of the Lord. He trusts in the power and the strength of the Lord. And even as he faces these fortified cities, just like Jericho, he doesn't have to worry. And he doesn't sound doubtful. He sounds just as, as confident as Joshua. And so I think that that's something to know as we look at what uh, faith we want to emulate. Now, with all that being said... All of this happened uh, in Joshua chapter 6. The walls crumble down and all of the, the obedience to the instructions happened uh, before that time. It's not, like they were, it's not like they were just waiting for God to bring the walls down. Then they were going to do it. No, it happens in a specific order. They obey. God does what he says he's going to do. That's important to note. That's important to note with people we're having studies with. That's important to note within ourselves. Because we don't get to, uh, and I'm kind of stepping on my toes in one of the next points, but you don't get to bargain with God in this way. No. When God says something, we do it. And only then will, will uh, 
will we accomplish what, what God says he'll give us. Now, finally, uh, the last point I want to look at is what faith does not look like. And the way I want to, to do this for the next few moments is I, I just, I kind of want to present a few scenarios to a degree of what Israel maybe could have said to Joshua after giving these instructions or what they could have done in light of those instructions. Um, but I'd like to do so in the same way that people talk about faith today. Uh, and I think that this will be interesting um, be, be, because I, I, I think there are lots of things that people, we're not even going to get to most of them, but just a few of them that I think we hear a lot um, in the 21st century. And I just wonder if you translate that back to when, when Israel was going to take Jericho, I, I wonder uh, how God would have responded. And I wonder what would have happened to the people. So first of all, I just want to ask the question, what would have happened uh, had they not done what God said in the first place? What would have happened if, if they just decided after receiving the instruction, all of the instruction, I don't like that. I don't like the way that sounds. That's not at all how I thought it was going to be. So you know what? Forget it. I don't want to do it. Well, very clearly, what would have happened is the same thing that happened to, uh, to the previous generation. They had a good example of, of the consequences of that disobedience. They had a good example of what that unfaithfulness looks like. Um, or maybe that lack of faith looks like. Over in Hebrews chapter 3, we already looked at Hebrews 11, but in Hebrews chapter 3, <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 3, beginning in verse 16, he hearkens back to that previous generation and uses them as an example. And in verse 16, he says, For who provoked him when they had heard? Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt led, uh, did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. Now the reason I wanted to read that was because the Hebrew writer is not just bringing that up just to, to recollect. He's not just saying, oh, think about those times. He's bringing them up for a reason. And he's bringing them up to Christians. In chapter 4, he just continues that argument, I think, as he uses them as an example of what that, what that unbelief looks like in disobedience. He then goes on to chapter 4 and says, Therefore, let us fear if while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. And so I think that that's important to note because if we decide that we want to disobey, if we decide that we just don't want to heed the instruction that God has given, whatever the instruction is, whatever the case may be, we don't get to choose, the, we don't get to choose our own consequences. God has laid them out before us. And we either get to obey him and receive those good consequences, or we get to reject him and receive those very negative, poor consequences. Um, and so there's something to take from that even today. Uh, but going beyond that, what would have happened if they had decided to only march around the walls for six days? And I just, six days was just a random number. What if they just did it five days? What if they just did it four? Or maybe they did it three days and they just thought, you know what? We're almost halfway there. I'm going to need a little bit more. Uh, I'm going to need God to prove himself a little bit before I take another step. How do you think God would have, would have reacted? I think people 
often uh, when, when we talk to them about what faith looks like, how to become a Christian. Uh, and and, and I, I sometimes think about stories like this. You imagine if one of the Israelites looked at Joshua and said, well, hey, I don't think God's going to keep the walls from coming down if, if we don't go the full seven days. I think that, that even if we just did it for six days, that you know what, God is going to bring the walls down. I mean, is that what he said? Clearly not. And I really believe that had they not fully obeyed God, I don't know if the walls would have come down. Because that, that's not what real faith looks like. That's not what obedience looks like, where we get to pick and choose what we want. And even today, you have similar things being said about uh, what we talked about this morning with baptism. You know, listen, I understand what you're saying, and I know that we've read a few passages about baptism in the New Testament. It does kind of seem like, like God is commanding this to be done by, by those who want to become Christians. But honestly, I, just think about this with me. I really don't think that God would condemn someone just because they weren't baptized. Again, what did God say? Could, would, would we say the same thing about, I don't know, repentance? It's interesting that no one really says much about you know, repentance, confession, uh, or belief. They, they usually only talk about that when it comes to baptism. But again, I think it's because we, we like to pick and choose at times. But So, so the question is, what did God say? Um, going beyond that, what would have happened had they tried to make God bring down the walls first? Before they, you know, as we said just a moment ago, I'm not going to take another step. Joshua, we're going to wait till God brings the walls down. Then we'll march as a, as, as, as a show of faith, as a sign of outward faith. Do people sometimes use similar language today? Um, again, what would have happened? Had they tried to make God prove himself in such a, uh, in really such a dishonest and, and really um, Satan-like way. Well, you know what? You're going to have to do a little bit more before, before I do anything, before I suffer anymore. I mean, I feel like I've done enough. But we don't get to come to God with those kinds of demands. We don't get to come to God and say, you know what? You, you, need, to, you need to move, not me. You need to act, not me. First of all, God has already acted quite a bit. In, in fact, we could not do enough to, to amount to the same level of, of weightiness and glory uh, and honor of everything God has done. Um, and so we don't get to say those things. But again, with something like baptism, kind of adding on to what we were talking about, people will, will go to like 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 21 where it says baptism now saves you. And, and they want to look at a passage like that and they'll say, really, that's just... That God will save you, first of all. You're just being baptized, so that way it's, it's just showing everyone the relationship that's already there. It's just showing everyone that, that you really want to look the part. Again, that's not what God has said. Um, and so, I, you know, you, we can say that so many times, but uh, people will still use these, these kinds of... Uh, these kinds of scenarios, or they'll say these kinds of things, and when you think, and when you put those kinds of questions, and you and you you put them in front of the Israelites when they're about to take Jericho, that that won't work. When you put those kinds of questions and put them to Noah, that won't work. When you put those questions and you put them to 
any story that you can think of from the Old Testament to the New Testament where, where God has commanded some a servant, one of his servants, his people to do something and, and they try to approach it in, 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 in that kind of a way where they really don't want to obey and they're trying to wiggle their way out of it, maybe kind of like Balaam, it never works. And so we need to learn from, from that. Well, finally, what if they... <laughs> had thought that they were the ones that brought the walls down. What if the Israelites, after the fact, decided that while they were living in the land and they were enjoying this, this beautiful land of milk and honey, that it was, really, it was really us that got the victory? Well, first and foremost, it would be the, uh, perhaps the greatest folly of all. Because remember what we said just a moment ago of, of how you know, your silence and just simply marching around the walled cities, how that really does not do much to the structural integrity of the, of the walls. And yet, the people, as, as, maybe not immediately, but as time goes by, you see these people who are enjoying this fruitful land that God has given them because it, it's the promised land that he has given them as an inheritance. And as they are enjoying those blessings, as they are receiving these blessings, they start getting into a uh, complacent, idle state that leads them into an idolatrous state. Because you know what? Maybe, maybe it wasn't, maybe it wasn't just God that did this. And they show it with their with their disbelief throughout their history. But you get to a time period like when Hezekiah is reigning. And he has to root out idolatry because there were kings, there were people who were trying to bring things in because they didn't fully trust in God. There was, well, maybe, maybe we need to look to, to others. Maybe we need to look to gods of wood and stone. Again, perhaps it may be the foolish, uh, the most foolish uh, uh, thing of all that they could ever think that anything but the creator could bring about these kinds of miracles, that could, could give this kind of victory. And so that's really what I want to leave us with tonight as we extend the invitation of Christ. There is, there is no one, there is no thing other than God that could provide the kind of victory that the Bible talks about. There is only one source that you can get that kind of uh, uh, eternal life, the resurrection from the dead. That you can have a, a king so righteous so, and yet so lowly. So, so tried and yet so perfect. You only get that one place, and that is Jesus Christ. And so I would just ask, do you have a relationship with that king? Have you subjected yourself to his authority? If not, I don't, I don't know what you're doing. Because the same level of, of defeat, the, the just outright destruction, demolition, of God's enemies in this story. That's just a picture, just a picture of the judgment that awaits his enemies for an eternity. And so, are you in a right relationship with God tonight? If you're a Christian, maybe you feel like you haven't been living right. Maybe you feel like you haven't been uh, uh, living that kind of, uh, with that kind of faithfulness that you see in Joshua chapter 6. I would just say, if you feel like that faith needs to grow, let's begin a study. If you feel like that faith needs to grow, go to a brother or a sister that you trust, that you feel like uh, can help you and utilize that brother or sister. If you are not a Christian, 
I'll just add to all of that by saying the, the, <laughs> the very beginning of that process is, is submitting yourself and, and doing everything you have to do, doing everything that the Lord commands of you to do to be a part of that kingdom. So are you willing to repent of your sins, confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, have the kind of uh, faith that pledges loyalty to only him above all, and be baptized into his death to rise in newness of his life? If you are subject to the invitation of Christ by any means, please let your need be made known as we stand and as we sing.